Good morning. Good to, good to be here. Good to be Christmas. And it's amazing that the sun is even shining as well. This is great, isn't it? We, um, I noticed this week on the news, I'll be careful how I say this. I don't want to get into trouble. But somebody got into trouble for suggesting that one particular individual associated with our traditional Christmas celebrations may in fact not exist. I'll let you figure that out. But it seemed to me kind of interesting that if we, if we were on the media and, and we were to say that Jesus was a fairy tale, nobody would seem to complain. And yet the interesting thing is, when you read the Bible, the Bible goes out of its way to present the Christmas story as truth, as fact, not as a fairy tale, not as a myth. In fact, we've got some uh, rather fetching copies of the New Testament available. Uh, just to finish up 2012, uh, you don't want to forget the flag, because after this year we're probably not going to see this flag much. Uh, but uh, the British flag here, to celebrate the Queen's Diamond Jubilee New Testaments, they're out by the door, and we would love you to grab one. If you don't have a Bible at home, or if your Bible is you know, old or lost or dusty or something, if you'd like to have one in in the same uh, sort of modern English that we've been using here, grab one of these and take a look. There's four books that, that start the, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay? And two of them tell the Christmas story. So if you want to have some fun, you can read Matthew and you can read Luke. That's the first and the third. And you can make sense of the Christmas story and try and put it all together. But the thing that you'll notice at the start of Luke is that he goes out of his way to say this is true. Okay, so let's, let's have a look at that. We're going to uh, actually be in chapter 2, but I don't want us to miss how he begins this document in Luke chapter 1, page 722 in a blue Bible. Uh, 723 is where we're, we're going to be looking. But on the left-hand page, Luke begins by saying, there's lots of people writing down the things that have happened. And I thought it would be a good idea to do a good job. And so... I investigated carefully and, and I've written an orderly account so that you, most excellent Theophilus, this friend or connection that he has, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been told. Now, I, I don't know about you, but every year Christmas comes around and we see the Christmas images, don't we, on the Christmas cards and the, uh, on the television adverts, wherever we see them. We see the Christmassy images and can't help but feel like it's kind of quaint. You know what I mean? Just stable and snow and donkey and cow and a couple of sheep. And uh, We watched a film yesterday. We love watching the Christmas films. I don't know if you get to watch those, but we watched one yesterday and it just struck me. I tried not to let it show, but it struck me as mildly interesting that, that in all these films, Mary's arriving on the donkey, right? And at the moment they pass the Welcome to Bethlehem sign, suddenly she transitions into the final stage of labor. This is quite an amazing moment where suddenly it's coming, it's coming. And Joseph goes into a panic and he's pounding on all the doors trying to find a place. Uh, and then there's the gruff uh, travel lodge manager. Uh, some of them are a bit gruff, I have to say, at travel lodges. But there's the gruff travel lodge manager who says, there's no room here. And, and then Joseph begs, and then he says, all right, I have the stable. And so they go around, and then there's a stable, and then the shortest labor in the history of, of humanity. It's quite intense, but it's brief. And suddenly, here's this clean, umbilical cord-free baby boy. And you go, wow, that's nice. And, and then there's shepherds and wise men, and, and I... I look at that and I can't help thinking, it 
does feel a bit kind of fairy tale-ish, doesn't it? It does feel a bit sort of long ago and far away. Uh, but then I look at Luke, and Luke's saying, and he's a doctor, by the way, so imagine your GP, maybe not your GP, but, but imagine a, a doctor saying, I'm going to do a good job here. And so he goes and he investigates and he speaks to the eyewitnesses. I'm sure he had a good long chat with Mary because he's got all sorts of details about Mary. And he writes it down. And I think we need to make sure that as we look at the Christmas story, we actually see what he says. Because the Christmas story is not a fairy tale. Some of the elements that are on the Christmas cards are a little bit uh, maybe inaccurate. That's okay. That's understandable. But what is the story? What really happened? Because when we see what really happened, we'll see this is, this is really... This is really a life changer for us. In fact, here at Ladyfield, uh, those of us that are here week in, week out, year round, we, I'm sure, all agree that we want everybody to know that the Christmas story is true and it makes a difference. The Christmas story is fact and, and, and we don't have faith in faith. We're not kind of religious, uh, you know, just sort of doing religious stuff. No, we believe in the facts of history, the fact that Jesus came that first Christmas from heaven, was born on earth. So let's look at what Luke says in chapter 2. In fact, he dives straight in there by underlining the facts. When Caesar Augustus, that's a true figure, definitely was Caesar, when he issued a census across the Roman world, you can check the history books and discover when that was. It tells us in verse 2 that Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and that's true, that was, that was who he was, that's, that's fact. And it goes on, and, and basically, Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem. There's a census, he has to go back to his family hometown, and he, he comes home, to home in the sense of going back to his roots, and he brings Mary, who's pledged to be married to him. She's with child, chapter 1's explained that. God has put this child inside Mary. And so she is pregnant, and, and they arrive. We don't know if there's a donkey. Let's, let's hope there was, because that really would spoil it if there wasn't. And, and they're in Bethlehem. Notice what it says in verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. That doesn't feel like a panic arrival, does it? Quick, quick, quick. My wife's in labor. It doesn't feel like that. It, it, it seems like Luke was saying they were in Bethlehem, and while they were there... The time came. Maybe they stayed longer than expected. Who knows? But, but the time came. The baby started. You know how it is if you've ever experienced uh, birth or the, you know, someone else giving birth. I haven't, but you know what I mean. If you've ever, you know when the time comes, it comes. There's no, well, hang on a second. Right? It's, it's the time. And so when the time came for the baby to be born, uh, they were there. And she gave birth to her for, firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the travel lodge. Except Luke doesn't say travel lodge, as you probably noticed. In fact, what he says isn't the normal word for inn either. He doesn't use the word for, for hotel or motel. In fact, Bethlehem was just a tiny little village. It, it, was, it was on the road to nowhere. It's very unlikely to have any sort of motel. In fact, the word he uses there is guest room. And the sense you get, if you look at it closely, is that they come to Bethlehem, uh, and, and here's this young man with his young wife-to-be, betrothed wife, and she's expecting, 
and, and there's no guest room available, and so it seems like she's given birth in the house. Sorry to spoil it, but, but she's given birth in somebody's house. Uh, babe, maybe they haven't, you know, had nine months to prepare the nursery, so when the baby's born, where do you lay a baby? Well, you lay a baby in a, well, in a manger. We have mangers in our homes, don't we? Well, okay, so we don't, but we're unusual. For 3,000 years in the Middle East, they kept their animals in their homes. It was normal. You don't leave your animals in some stable on a hillside. They get nicked, right? You, you bring them in, and you keep them behind locked doors at night. The advantage is you still have them in the morning, and you're warm. Think that one through. And, and, and there they are, and in the morning you kind of shuffle them outside, and, and then you clean it all out, and, and it's a lovely arrangement. And, and so Jesus was probably born in the living room of a very poor family with a, maybe a, a cow and a couple of sheep. And when he was born, he was wrapped in cloths, and he was laid in this kind of purpose-built bed that was right there. Incredibly humble. And then we go straight to the shepherds. Talk of humble. I mean, the most humble people you'll ever find were shepherds at that time. They, they, were, they, they were kind of the, the outcasts of society. Nobody wanted to hang around with shepherds. You couldn't bring a shepherd into court and listen to his testimony. It was worthless. Shepherds were nobodies. And yet these shepherds were somebodies to God because God sent the angel to give them the message. Notice what the angel said. It's absolutely huge. First of all, uh, when the shepherd came, uh, sorry, when the angel came, we had some beautiful angels here this morning. Um, when the angel came to the shepherds, oh my, they were terrified. Probably wasn't three foot tall, right? Big, strong angel. And they were scared. They'd never seen the likes of it. And so the angel began the way all angels begin. Do not be afraid. That's always a clue, right? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, even shepherds. And what's the news? Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There's three titles right there. He's a Savior. Now, for, for thousands of years, the Jewish people had been waiting for a savior, for a deliverer, for a rescuer, somebody that would come and set them free. He's been born. And it says, he's the Christ, or the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the, the special one, the one that God has chosen to, to fulfill all of his plans and purposes. And just to make sure they didn't miss it, the Lord as well. He's the Lord. He's in charge. He's the boss in the biggest sense of the term. He is the, you could say, king of kings and lord of lords. And the shepherds are just kind of sitting there like, huh? Today? You're kidding. And that, what would your response be if you were that shepherd? If you were in that, in that little group and you're sitting there and, and you've seen an angel for the first time, that's pretty scary. You'd probably check your flask and make sure that there was nothing other than soup in it. But, but no, sure enough, there's, there's an angel. We, de we all heard the same thing, right? Well, it's weird because a couple of verses later, they hurry off and they, they go chasing this baby. Now, that's weird. Shepherds wouldn't rush into town to, to, to go see what's going on. They don't do that. They stay where they are. And they certainly don't go visit royalty. And here you've got an angel from heaven saying, Savior, Christ, Lord, born today. 
So verse 12 must be significant. Verse 12 says this, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I don't think that what the angel's saying there is, let me give you a clue which one it is. You know, and the shepherd's kind of walking around Bethlehem, and sorry, excuse us, just checking for babies. I suspect that the point of this was actually to say, you know what, boys, you can go. You, you can go because he's not in a palace. He's in a manger. And in their minds, they go, huh, the kind of place that we live, the kind of place where poor people are, nobodies, like the, the, the kind of place where you'd put your baby if you lived in a normal home. He's in one. Okay, let's go. And they hurried off to see the baby. I think that's in verse 15. We're going to come uh, to that in a second. You see the point here. Jesus was, was born in the most humble of circumstances. Born in, in this home, they probably shooed the animals out and the men outside and, and the women had gathered around and you know, helped Mary through and this baby was born and he was laid in a manger. Next thing you know, you've got these shepherds coming. And they, they're confident to come because if he would come to us, to people like us, then maybe we can come to him. Which is kind of the point of Christmas. That if God would come to people like us, then maybe people like us can come to him. Now before they left, the angel was joined by a heavenly host. I'd love to have seen it, wouldn't you? Just this, this great host of, of, from heaven. Uh, and the next verse, they're praising God. In verse 14, this is what they're saying. They're saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. What, what does that mean? Well, they're saying something about heaven and something about earth. They're saying something about God and something about humans. What are they saying? Well, first of all, the first line, they're saying that the highest of the high on the throne of the universe, God is there. Glory to all glory to God. And, and of course, the shepherds would have said a hearty amen. Absolutely. Everyone knows their place in Israel and God's on the throne. But look at the second line. What's happened on earth? Peace to men on whom God's favor rests. Well, what's peace? We know what peace is, don't we? Peace is, peace is that thing when, when there's been a horrible conflict and then it's ended, right? When there's been a war and then it's finished. Maybe you've experienced some wars at Christmas time, you know what I mean? You know, different people come for Christmas, some of whom you'd like to have at Christmas, some of whom you'd really rather not. But, but once a year, you all get together, and sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes it feels like a cold war, doesn't it? And maybe you've had the experience of, of so-and-so, you know, you've got to spend so-and-so so, you know, Christmas with them, and you spend it with them, and something happens. Maybe something's changed, something's shifted, and in the midst of it all, maybe they pull you aside and they apologize, and, 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 and something is put right, and suddenly you feel this peace in the relationship that you were dreading. Now you're enjoying, and you, that's, that's got to be one of the best feelings on earth. When there's been a, a fallout, for things to come together. And that's what this piece is talking about. Peace on earth. For, for those people on whom God's favor rests. God, who's glorious and holy and just, He would show favor to, to us? Wow. Well, that's exactly what Christmas is about. 
It's about God, uh, who's glorious and, 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 and you know, way up high there. It's about God getting down and dirty to get to people like us. It's about him stepping in and, and being born as a human and being just born in the most humble of circumstances in, in a kind of a terraced council house in Bethlehem, right? Nobody special there, no, no significance, no neon lights, no flashing, just, just really, really normal circumstances. Because if he will come near to people like us, then maybe people like us can come near to him. That's what the shepherds were thinking. And so the shepherds hurried off to see this thing and, uh, that had happened and they came uh, to, the, to the place uh, and uh, see what the Lord has told us about. And, uh, and uh, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They, they didn't go around cooing about you know, his nose and his ears and doesn't he look like his mum, not so much like his dad. That's, that's kind of normal talk. But no, these, these are shepherds. Uh, no offense, but they're males. They probably don't notice those things. But what they're telling is what they've been told. And they've been told, glory to God in the highest, but now that there's, there's peace on earth and God's favor rests on, on, on some of us, including us. People, if he comes to people like us, we, we can go to him. There's peace now. Things are put right. And they spread the word. They spread the news. And, and for the past 2,000 years, that news has been spreading around the world. God has not remained distant, but he stepped into our world. God has not stayed uh, somewhere safe. He's come into the unsafe mess of this world to rescue little people, little nobodies like you and, and like me, people that aren't impressive, people that haven't got it all together, people that, that don't have all the right answers, people who the world sees as being insignificant. People who see themselves as dirty before a holy God, and God says, you know what? I'm going to come and get you, and I'm going to make you clean, and I'm going to make you mine. That's what Christmas is about. The, the word that Luke uses for a, a guest room, the, the word that's translated in, in this version of the Bible, it's a word he uses again later. He, he uses the word for a motel. He uses that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, later on in Luke 10. But he uses the word for guest room that he uses here. There's no room in the guest room. There's no guest room for them. So, you know, they had him where the manger was. Later on, Jesus is in Jerusalem, 33-ish years later. And he, he sends two of his disciples ahead of him. And he says, okay, lads, this is what I want you to do. Go into town. You're going to find this chap and you're going to say to him, where's the guest room? We call it the upper room. Same word. Where's the guest room? And he's going to lead you there, and you go there, and you make preparations because we're going to have the Passover there in that room. We're going to borrow that room. And if you read through the book of Luke, you'll come to it where Jesus meets with his disciples in the guest room, in this spare room that was probably up above in a city like Jerusalem. And they met in that room. Maybe you've seen the picture, you know, the long table, and they're all sitting there, you know, eating meat, and there's random knives and things. It probably wasn't like that. Okay? They're probably lying on the floor, you know, and the way they would eat in those days. But there in that room, you know what happened? For the last three years, Jesus had been telling his disciples, listen, gents, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. And they were like, we don't get what you're talking about. And on that night, 
in that guest room, he took the bread and he said, you see this? This is my body which is given for you. I want you to take this, eat this, to remember what I'm about to do for you. And then he took the cup of wine and he said, this wine, this cup represents my blood which is poured out for you. Drink this. And and, and when you drink this, remember what I've done for you. And within 24 hours, they saw him arrested. They saw him tried. They saw him taken and crucified, hung on a cross, the most humiliating death imaginable. And then that Friday night, they would have gone back to their beds, wherever they were, behind locked doors, and, and scratched their heads and tried to put it all together. But it makes sense. Jesus was born in in the most humble of circumstances so that he could die in the most humiliating of circumstances so that he could make peace between sinners and a sinless God. A couple days later, he rose from the dead. And then they got it. Then they understood. Then they were like, oh my. Okay, in that case, oh yeah, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an... This was the purpose. This was why he came. He came to die. And that's why typically here and other churches like this on on Christmas, we point to Easter. It's not that we're sort of saying, you know, thanks for coming, please come again in April or March. You know, it's not that. It's because Christmas makes sense because of Easter. Jesus came into this world, came close to people like us, so that people like us could come close to God, but we're sinners and He's holy. How in the world can we come close to God Well, Easter explains how. It's because Jesus went to the cross and he died and he took the punishment for all the bad things that you and I have ever done, said, thought, imagined doing, uh, you know, kind of dreamed of doing, but never even mentioned. Everything. He died and he's paid the price. And because of that, we're invited, not, not just to celebrate an annual festival called Christmas, we're invited into a relationship with a holy God who longs for us to come near to him and to know him. He's the one that created life in the first place. He's the one that wants to give us life. And it seems to me that most of us, I think, realize that life doesn't work without something else. It's like we're searching for something in a hopeless world and Jesus offers hope. We're searching for something in a, in, a, in a conflicted world, maybe in a conflicted life, and Jesus offers peace. We're struggling with bodies that are dying in a world surrounded by death, and Jesus offers us life. And that's the story of Christmas. It's the story of God getting down and dirty so that people like us can draw near to him. It's the story of him coming to us so that he could go to the cross, die in our place, and make an offer to us and say, you know what, I want you, shepherds, wise men, male, female, western, eastern, wherever you're from, whatever your background, whatever you've done, I want you to know life. And so I've come to give mine to make yours possible. That's the gospel. That's the good news that the Bible teaches us. We don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to pull our acts together. It's not about January New Year's resolutions, thankfully, because they fail. It's about a God who in his love says, all I'm asking you to do is trust me. Turn to me. Accept my offer of life. Accept my offer of forgiveness. Place your trust in me and we will 
we will have a relationship and for the first time in your life you'll get to taste what life is and it's all possible because God came down to little people like us and was born in the home of poor people relatively speaking like us because he wants people like us to have relationship with him let's pray and give thanks to God for that if, if something I've said has kind of triggered a thought or you have some questions don't, don't be embarrassed about that please come and talk to somebody to myself, to Alan, to anybody you know there's no such thing as a silly question well there, there are some silly ones but if you ask it it won't be silly All right? there's no such thing as a, a question that you should know the answer to because actually like Luke says you know what he says this is true and I want you to know the certainty of it so there's nothing wrong with asking questions you, you might say you know what I, I like what you're saying but what I don't get is this that's great we'd love to talk to you we'd love you to grab a New Testament and, and read it for yourself and ultimately our prayer our desire is that every one of us would have the joy of being in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ his son so let's pray. Uh, as we finish, we'll sing a closing song and then we'll be able to head through to the cafe together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the real meaning of Christmas. Lord, we thank you that it isn't a fairy tale. It isn't a myth. It isn't something that's been dreamed up to make us feel better about ourselves. But actually, it's something that you chose to do. And, and Lord, we, we thank you that you... You chose to come down to the lowest of the low, to people like those shepherds, to people like us, to people like Mary. And you, you came to us so that we could come to you, so that we could have a relationship with God. Lord, I pray for each one of us in this room today, from the oldest to the youngest, whatever our circumstances, maybe we're flying high right now and everything's going great. Maybe we're struggling and we're really at the end of ourselves. Lord, we just ask that you, by your Spirit, would work in us this Christmas. Draw us to you. I pray for, for those of us who have been in relationship with you for many years. Lord, would you thrill us again with the, the wonder of Christmas this year. Stir within us love and praise and worship for you. And Lord, for any that, that are kind of looking in, through the window and saying, I don't know that. I haven't tasted that. I haven't experienced that. I don't have peace in my heart, peace between me and God. I don't know what that's like. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to you. I pray that you would just, just make it so they can't think about anything else. Make it so that, that they, they have the courage to, to, to ask the questions, to maybe read the New Testament to, to find out more. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this Christmas, we will have the joy of celebrating new life as people come to trust in Jesus, the one who came to the most humble of births and then took the most humiliating of deaths, all for our sake, to bring us into relationship with you, our Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song. You may not know it, but I'm sure you'll pick it up pretty quickly. It's, I believe it's this child. And you can figure out which child we're singing about. But let's stand together and sing this. If you don't know it, just listen through the first verse and you'll pick it up by the second. Let's stand together and, 
and enjoy this last Christmas song.